This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. You're listening to Theater of the Mind on Zoomer Radio, AM 740 and 96.7 FM in downtown Toronto. Time for a little spine-tingling radio, and we've got it with Escape Theater. You are speeding through the Turkish night on the Taurus Express. You are alone and unarmed. And somewhere on the train is a calm killer from whom you must escape. Escape, produced and directed by William N. Robson, and carefully contrived to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure. Tonight we escape to Turkey, and the Taurus Express, which carries a shipment of death, as Harold Lamb told it in his exciting story, Three Good Witnesses. I took the Taurus Express that night because I was going home, back to the United States, back to California, and my routine job at the oil company. Two days before, I'd given my final report to our State Department man in Istanbul, a negative report. Mr. Ward, your conceded opinion is that there is no oil in this area? Not enough to be worth drilling for, not at this late date. War would be over before we could get out 10,000 barrels. You're being optimistic, Mr. Ward. War isn't over yet. Who can say when it will be? Well, that's true, but... Uh, uh, what does Orvark say? He agrees with me completely. So does Wyndham, the British engineer. We're all agreed. Mm, three good witnesses, hmm? Well, then that settles it. What do you mean, three good witnesses? Oh, that's an old saying out here in the Middle East. Come from the Arabs, I think. In their old law, the testimony of three independent and trustworthy witnesses was enough to establish the guilt or innocence of an accused person. Hmm. But why Three. I suppose two witnesses to a crime might tell the same lie. But if three fellas tell the same story, well, it must be true. Hmm, maybe. Now, I suppose the odds against three making up the same story would be high, but I don't know whether I'd like to trust my neck with that kind of justice. Yeah, it is a little different from the justice back home in Chattahoochee County. Hmm. I imagine you'll be wanting to get back to the States as soon as possible. Indeed I do. Well, I can put you on a Taurus Express Wednesday. You'll be in Cairo by Saturday. Get an ATC plane that'll have you in Washington three days later. Istanbul to Washington in less than a week. It's a small world, isn't it?
So I was booked on the Taurus Express, leaving Istanbul on Wednesday night. I got to the station late, and as I walked down the long platform toward the first-class carriages, I sensed a tenseness in the crowd. First, I couldn't explain it. Then I noticed that the platform was alive with police. They stood at the door of every car, motionless, solemn-faced, carefully scrutinizing everyone who got aboard. And it seemed that everyone on that bustling platform was aware of them. I found my car near the front of the train. A policeman stood at the open door. I paused to verify the car number, and suddenly I heard a voice at my elbow. I thought I had missed you. A pair of arms twined around my neck. A pair of lips were kissing me. Pushed her away to try to see her face, but she clung to me. Tried to say something, but she kept talking so fast I couldn't get a word in. How could you do this to me? To run off without even saying goodbye? I must be with you right up to the last minute, my darling. Last I could see her. She was beautiful. Very young and very beautiful. Turkish or Greek, I couldn't tell which, but lovely. Why? You must let me go on the train with you. See you safely to your compartment. I cannot bear it. Madame, I'm afraid you're making a mistake. Please, please, you must help me. I will explain. But I... uh... Come, you will miss the train. I will see you safely on board. Come, hurry, so we may say our last goodbye in privacy. This last was thrown over her shoulder to the policeman standing there. She pulled me up the steps into the car. He stared at us, but he said nothing. In the moment, we were standing in the deserted corridor. Thank you, sir. Thank you. look here, young lady. What is all this? It is the fault of those police standing up there. I could not get into the car alone. But why not? This is a first-class car. Only rich foreigners ride in first-class compartment. I could see by you clothes you were American. I knew you would help me. But why did you want to get into this car, especially? Because I... Suddenly she stopped. Her eyes were riveted on something behind my back. I turned to see a swarthy young man staring at us from the other end of the car. He was dressed in the uniform of a train conductor. Slid open a compartment door. There was an almost imperceptible jerk of his head. And then the girl slipped past me and into the open room. Conductor slid the door shut after her. Your number, sir? Huh? Oh, oh yes, yes, uh, 12. Yes, the next one. Here. If there is anything I can do for you, I shall be pleased. If you care to leave your ticket and passport with me, I shall be able to attend to Syrian customs without disturbing you later. As he talked, his eyes were not on me. He was watching the slow progress of a policeman through the car. Officer was walking by, glancing into each compartment. When he came opposite us, he spoke to the conductor. Conductor was standing squarely in front of the door of the girl's compartment, hiding her from view. Policeman walked on. In the moment, he had disappeared. Thank you, sir. I shall not disturb you. I went into my compartment. My bags were already there. The train was about to leave. Everything was in order. But I couldn't help wondering about the incident I just witnessed. About the girl I'd involuntarily hemped and the conductor. Wondered about all those police out there. Obviously, something was going on. Then I remembered. This was Istanbul. A gateway to the Middle East. It was supposed to be alive with acts of spies. Could that girl be... <laughs> then I laughed. Just my overage, stay-at-home, the mind imagining things. Then suddenly I heard a voice hey, in the corridor George, outside. What's the big idea? The voice was unmistakably American and music to my ears. 
I jumped to my feet and stepped into the corridor. There, outside the next compartment, was a young man, in civilian clothes, carrying a small bag and a briefcase. The swarthy conductor was approaching him with a worried look. How about look. this, huh? There's a dame in my compartment. Beg pardon, sir. There must be a mistake. This is compartment number 10. Naturally. You think I can't read? Number 10, that's mine. But number 10 is not sold. It is not marked on my list. The heck it isn't. I've got the ticket right here. What's with the dame? Please, not so loud. I don't get this. Uh, I... I beg your pardon. Can I be of any help? Hmm? Oh, you're an American, too. Yep. Humphrey Ward, Los Angeles. Tom Hatfield. Glad to know you. Look, what's with the dame? Do you know? No, I'm afraid please, I... Please, gentlemen, step into the compartment, please. But the girl... Please, in. Yes? Okay. Well, I... Please. I... Oh, all right. He ever the inner. Passaria. Hey, wait a minute. Talk English. What's all this about, anyway? It is... I am embarrassed, sir. You're embarrassed. I buy a ticket and find a dame in my compartment. Of course, on closer inspection, maybe I'm not so mad after all. She looks like a good deal. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Oh, you do speak English, huh? Sir, the policeman will come by, maybe look in. I must ask of you a favor. Yeah? If she could stay here just until the train has started... She will not bother you after that. Why can't she stay in her own compartment? Please, sir, I have no place else to put her. All the other places are taken. Oh, she's a deadhead, huh? Deadhead? No ticket. Stowaway. It is something like that. Well, what's the setup? Is she your girlfriend? No, no, it is not like that. It is... You see, we are both Macedonian. She is escaping from the Nazis. She wants to go to Cairo to join the nurse corps. Oh? She has been for two years in Greece under the Nazis. Mm -hmm. She is a real patriot. If you will help her... Well, maybe if he introduced us and let her speak for herself. She is called Maradalas. Well, let's make it Mary for short. Mary the deadhead. Hi, Mary. Hi. You're okay. Get her. She talks American. <laughs> I spent two years at American school at Thessalonica. I work with Red Cross in Greece during the fighting. Right so? I like Americans. I want to go to the United States. Who doesn't? I want to learn to be a real nurse. You will help me. Americans are always kind. Mm -hmm. This gentleman here, he helped me get on the train. Naturally. Now you will help me. <laughs> okay? Uh, okay. Thank you, sir. Now, I must go before the policeman gets suspicious. Okay, this may turn out to be a pleasure. <laughs> Looks like you don't need me. Uh, I'm in the next compartment. Maybe we'll get together later. Sure, sure. I'd offer you a seat, but we're sort of crowded already, Mary and me. <laughs> I went back to my seat laughing, laughing mostly at the silly idea I'd had that maybe Mary the deadhead and her conductive friend were spies of some sort. Obviously, they were harmless, as harmless as, as I was. And that was completely harmless, confound it. I looked out the window as the train slid out of the station, leaving Turkey, leaving the war, going home. Back to complacent safety. Men were out here, fighting and dying. They'd get no help from me. Me. Overage and useless. <laughs> I felt pretty sorry for myself. It wasn't until the next day that I began to get acquainted with my fellow passengers. Mary the deadhead was riding on the conductor's jump seat at the end of the car. The uh, Ruvians, an Armenian couple, were in 14, the compartment next to mine. Young Tom Hatfield was on the other side of me. And two Greek refugees, a Mr. Chiniara and a Mr. Vika, were next to him, an eight. 
Hatfield kept pretty much out of sight all day, and it was Mr. Chiniara who shared a table with me at dinner that night. I didn't much care for him, but he was somebody to talk to. You Americans, you do not realize how lucky you are. No, I suppose not. You do not know what it is to be safe. Just look around you. Almost all the passengers on this express are refugees. All of them would pay much to be going to the United States as you are. Yeah, I suppose so. But yes. <laughs> Where else is there any security for us? But you, sir, and your young friend are already secure. Wherever you go, you are always safe. But it is not so for us. Yeah, I suppose we do take a lot for granted. And, oh, here's Mr. Hatfield now. Uh, Hatfield, uh... Won't you join us? Thanks, no. I'll just sit oh, over no, there. Oh, no, I insist. I, I was just leaving. You must join your friend. Oh, really? There's no oh, need. I insist, please. Okay, well. Thank you, Mr. Chiniara. It's been a pleasure. And for me, sir. Good evening. Good evening. Take it easy. Well, I haven't seen much of you today. Been resting, eh? Something like that. You ordered? Yes, I'll call the waiter. Never mind. He'll be back. Who's your slick-haired friend? Oh, Mr. Chiniara? He's a Greek refugee just escaped from the Nazis. Everybody out here just escaped from the Nazis. He was saying how lucky we are to be Americans. Guess they don't see many of us in Turkey these days. I guess not. I haven't seen many of us myself. Funny, I didn't run into you in Istanbul. I wasn't there, just passing through. Oh. No, I thought I'd have met you at the American mission or somewhere. No. I, uh... Well, I'm out here at the State Department. Oil. But I didn't have much luck. I'm going home now. Too bad. Hmm. Plenty of things for us Americans to do out here, though. Like, uh, oil and other things, you know? Of course, they give the unimportant stuff to has-beens like me. Need the good stuff for young fellows like you. Okay, Mr. Ward. Huh? What? Okay. I'm Tom Hatfield, Frankfort, Kentucky. White, Protestant, 26, unmarried. No, I'm not a draft dodger, and no, I'm not AWOL. And yes, I'm here on business, which is none of yours. I'm a captain in the Air Force. Two years overseas... You might say officially I'm on a holiday. The fact is I'm taking this train to Adana, where I get off at 5 tomorrow morning, cross the border, and catch a plane that's waiting to take me to Cairo. Anything else you want to know? Oh, I, I'm sorry. I, no, no, no. I... Sit down, sit down. I'm sorry. I guess I'm getting on my own nerves. Forget it, will you? Oh, it's nothing. You needn't think that... Riding on trains is kind of bad for a flyer. It makes me jumpy. I understand. But uh, you must have already been through a lot. I do understand. I was in France in 1918. I know what it's like. Maybe you know better than I do. Oh, I wouldn't say that, but I envy you. I'd give anything to be in it. You're lucky you're not. Oh, I know, I know. No fun being old and useless like me either. I envy you. I can tell you're doing something important. You can? Oh. Mm-hmm. By the way, you're so careful with that briefcase. Carry it around with you all the time. You got it on your lap now. Probably got something important in it. The statues or something. So you noticed that, did you? Well, I hope nobody else on this train is so observant, Mr. Ward. Oh, you're pulling my leg. What difference would it make, anyway? You can never tell. On a train like this, out here, you never know. Oh, you mean spies? Well, I... But why? I haven't seen anyone who looks suspicious. Spies are never suspicious looking, Mr. Ward. They're anybody. Anybody who wants to make a quick buck and doesn't care how he does it. This train is alive with people like that. Oh, yeah, but, but who? Who? I'll just take, for instance, Mary the Deadhead. She's young and pretty? Yes. But she's broke. And her shifty-eyed boyfriend, the conductor. Oh, but they're Greeks. She's a refugee. So she says. But didn't it seem strange to you that he put her in my compartment by mistake? My name wasn't on the list, so he said. 
Were you satisfied with her story? Well, for a moment I was suspicious, but... You can't take too much for granted. Now, for instance, the story I just told you. I might be a spy, mightn't I? That whole thing might be hogwash. Well, no, no. You're American. I know that. Who else would say hogwash? No matter. I could be an American trader. There are such things. Oh, but that... Or you might be the spy. Yeah, they even look like you. Meek and mild. Casper Milktoast. <laughs> and their cover stories are pips. Like telling you they're out here looking for oil. They strike up a conversation, ask questions, and notice briefcases. Oh, but look. Now, look here. Surely you don't think... No, I don't think anything. I only say, you never can tell, Mr. Warden. <laughs> Of course he was kidding me, pulling my leg, but I didn't really mind. I liked him, and he had a right to be cocky and flip. He was doing something for the war effort. Even though I knew he was kidding me, I went to bed thinking about spies and fell asleep dreaming of them. <laughs> then very suddenly, I woke with a terrible sense of urgency. There was something that I must do. I looked at my watch, it was ten minutes to five. The train was dark, everything was quiet. And yet, I felt I had to get up. I started to put on my clothes. It didn't make sense, but then I remembered. It was Tom Hatfield, not me, who had to get up at five, leave the train at Adana to cross the border into Syria and take his plane. Those dispatches must be important. If he had to change to a fast plane as soon as he got out of neutral Turkey... When I stepped out into the dimly lit corridor, it was, it was deserted. I knocked on Hatfield's door. No answer. I tried the handle. The door slid open into darkness. Something was wrong. I switched on the light and went in. Tom Hatfield lay there in the bunk asleep. Hey, Hatfield! Rise and shine! We're coming into Adana. We've got to get off. I shook him. He didn't move. Then I saw blood on his pillow and on his head. I looked around quickly. The briefcase was gone. Kiborkian! Kiborkian! Is something wrong, sir? Did either of you see anybody go into number 10? No. Nobody. Who should go? Look, do you have keys to the doors? But no. There are no keys. The lock from the inside is sliding bolt and chain. Nobody can get in once they are locked. Yeah, that's what I thought. I knew Tom Hatfield would have locked that door. Somebody must have gotten in some other way and left that corridor door open as a false clue. But how? Then I noticed the door which connected to number eight. I tried it. It was locked. This didn't make sense. But through my mind was racing one thought. American dispatches have been stolen. Tom Hatfield is out. It's up to me. I, I searched the room. I found an automatic under the mattress, but no briefcase. I heard the train start up again. We were leaving Adana. I looked again at the connecting door. Then I got it. The bolt was fastened on the other side of that door. But on this side, it was not. That meant that someone could have come in through number eight. I knocked on the door. I heard a movement, and then the bolt slid back and the door swung open. I was face to face with Mr. Chiniara. And he was staring at the gun in my hand. What is it? What is that for? The briefcase. The bag of my friend. Is it here? Briefcase? Back? Oh, we have here only our valises. This door has been opened. Something is missing. Oh, if you have lost something, I pray you to look. 
I know nothing of it. Hey, come in, please, and look. All right, I will. I'm not accusing anyone, but I just want to be sure that... <laughs> Next thing I felt was a stinging coldness on my face, a rushing of wind, and I realized that I was hanging half out of the window of the car. They were shoving me out of the train. Savagely, I, I kicked. I felt something give. And I pushed myself back and slid down onto the floor. I felt something hard under me. The gun. In the dim compartment, I saw them coming at me. Chiniara and Rika. I raised the gun. What is it? What has happened? Oh, look! On the floor! Shut the door quickly! Are they... Wait, let me look. Yes. Both of them. Finish. They, they took the briefcase. I'm sure they did. Hey, who's shooting up the place? Hatfield. Holy cow, when you look at that. What's happened? Well, the briefcase, it's here someplace. I'm sure it is. Hey, wait a minute, fella. You're all banged up here. Looks like we both got bumped. Here, sit down. You'll need a drink. Mary, you'll find a pint in my bag. Bring it in here, will you? But but they got the papers. Okay. We ought to look. They did. Yeah, the briefcase isn't here. I, I don't see it. Well, there wasn't anything in that briefcase except some old Istanbul newspapers. We probably threw it out the window. Back at Hyder Pasha, a Britisher I know warned me to be careful on this trip. I put my classified material someplace else. Oh, but then that means I killed two men without any cause. Without a shred of evidence to back up my story. Uh, how we waste time. Quick, the Syrian border police got on the train at the Dana. They might be here any minute. Now, who is dead here? Mary, the deadhead, took me into Hatfield's room and carefully administered first aid to my cuts and bruises. But Kevorkian and Hatfield were busy in number eight. What, what are they doing? Never mind. Pay no attention. But they're throwing the bodies out of the window. Think not of it, please. Heike Vorkin is a Macedonian. When he fought the Germans at Thessalonica, he threw bodies over the cliffs. He knows what he is doing. Oh, but... But you, you are a brave man, too. Even if you are not Macedonian, you would be judgment-tried for two, three years in spite of your age and your innocence. It is better to have no bodies. What's that? Be quiet now. The border police. Well, we got the room cleaned up just in time. She has their passport. I forgot. No, they are not here. I... I can tell you about Chiniara and Rika. This man here, Mr. Ward, he is American general in disguise. Secret service. He put Chiniara and Rika off at Adana with pistols. They were spies. Good heavens, he'll never believe that. Never mind. This man is a Syrian. He does not care what happens in Turkey. But do you have any Syrian money? Oh, oh yes, yes. Here. In my wallet. Good. Give it to me. Thank you. Now, come with me, Sergeant. Do not worry now, Mr. Ward. In a moment, Haiki Vorkian will have those passports. We will throw them out the window, and there will be no trace. And to think, Mary. I thought you might be drawing down an Axis paycheck. <laughs> it is no matter. Now we are out of Turkey. And before long, I can go to United States. Maybe that might not be so easy. You've got no money, no passport, no transportation through the combat zones? Never mind. I shall do it. I walk to here from Macedonia. I can walk all the way. Like St. Paul in the Bible walked to Rome. Well, I wish you luck, but you'll have a time getting by British control at Aleppo. You can't smuggle a pack of cigarettes past them. Oh, but what about me? 
what about a murder? I don't know. We'll see. It was morning when the train pulled into Aleppo, the station where British control came on. The trip had been pretty awful, with Tom trying to act as if nothing had happened, and with me staring into that empty room, imagining Chiniara and Rika sitting there staring back at me. Maybe they had been spies, maybe not. Now they were dead, and I was in trouble. We knew that the minute the train stopped, a soldier stood outside our windows and said, Look here! Everyone remains in his place in this car! We waited silently for many minutes, and a British major in khaki short stepped in. Behind him I saw Kiborki and Mary the Deadhead standing in the doorway. Good morning, I'm Radcliffe. I'm looking for two missing passengers identified as Greeks, Chiniara and, uh, and Brikar by name. Oh, come now, they seem to have been in the next compartment. Yeah. What became of them? Were there two? Hmm. Young lady. Yes, sir? You weren't in number eight, were you? You don't seem to have any other place. Nor a Syrian entrance visa. Please. I sat down in the corridor. It's quiet. Conductor, don't you remember two passengers booked through to Aleppo? One was a stout man, bookseller who escaped from Greece ten days ago. The other Ah, was... those. They descended from the car at Adana. One was fat with slick hair, and the other... Oh, oh yes. yes. Really? I say, isn't that a bullet hole in the wall up there? And you, sir, Mr. Ward, isn't it? Yes. How did you hurt your forehead? I... Uh, an accident. Uh, I bumped into... Oh, a... yes, quite. I should tell you that the Armenian couple in number 14 heard shots just after passing Adana. They were so frightened they locked themselves in until now. It's no use. I... I shot them. Both of them. They hit me first. Please realize that I'm not joking. My orders are to find those two pseudo-Greeks wherever they may be. Wait a minute. You said pseudo-Greeks? You mean... a Major, you want to find them? Mm -hmm. And how, as you Americans say. But Why? Because we're advised by Istanbul that certain Axis agents have been working out of the Balkans with identification as refugees. These two, uh, Tiniara and Dikar, were on this train. Our man on the train saw them throw something out at Adana. They hardly threw themselves out. No, we did that. Your man at Haida Pasha tipped me off to expect trouble. Really? So they were agents. Certainly they were spies. I knew that. No Greek would be fat like Chiniara. After only one week escape from the Germans. And no Greek would have hair oil from Paris? Well, that being the case, will somebody start telling the truth? I will. This mild little gentleman, knowing nothing of the war and fighting, he kills you two men in a gunfight. How you say, like nobody business. And now, please, he is still suffering from shock. So will you please give him a plane direct to Cairo, where he can rest? And this American courier, he is late with dispatches. He must have a place in the plane, too. And, and since I cannot enter Syria without the passport, will you please put me also on the plane? Because in Cairo, I can get a job as a nurse with the Ella Greeks from Macedonia who are there. And maybe God will then give me a way to go to America. Like he passed St. Paul through the Taurus Gate. Is it a deal, Major? Three places on the first plane, and you have your men like the Royal Canadian Hoosies, only dead. Hmm. The plane could be arranged, of course, 
If... All right, Mr. Watt. Tell him. Tell him. With the eyes of that amazing girl on me, my courage came back. I told him my story, completely, in every detail. He listened carefully and took it all down on his pad, and afterwards he said, That story, Mr. Watt, is not one bit of evidence to support it. By your own statement, the evidence is buried in the snow on the slopes of the Taurus Mountains. Nuts. I tell you, I helped chuck it out. And I examined the two men. I am a trained nurse, and I said they were dead. And for identification, I, a soldier of Macedonia, can swear that their passports were the men you say. Hmm. Very well. I'll ring the airdrum. The evidence of three good witnesses is sufficient. Escape is produced and directed by William N. Robeson. And tonight brought you Three Good Witnesses by Harold Lamb. Adapted for radio by John Dunkel, with Morgan Farley as Humphrey Ward, Jack Webb as Tom Hatfield, Jeanette Nolan as Mary the Deadhead, and Harry Bartell as Kivokian. Music was conceived and conducted by Cy Fuhr. Beginning next Sunday night, Escape will be heard at a new hour, 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Next Sunday night, we escape with another exciting adventure story created for you by one of the world's great authors. Good night, then, until 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time next Sunday night when again we offer you Escape. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Thank you very much for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Dimension X, followed by Father Knows Best. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer of Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great evening. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Time is limited for me to chat tonight, so it's straight to the action with George Burns and Gracie Allen. And there'll be a lot of action when Gracie decides to barbecue a pig for her neighbors. Warm up the barbie, George. And as George sits down to breakfast, he is greeted by some wonderful news from Gracie. Eat all the bacon you want, George. Our meat shortage is over. How come? Well, I just got a letter from Cousin Nellie on the farm. They're sending us a hog. I don't believe it. That's the same Cousin Nellie who said she was knitting me a white sweater. But I never got it. Well, Grandpa wouldn't let her send it. Why not? Well, you know how nearsighted Nellie is. Grandpa was dozing while she worked on the white sweater, and she knitted his beard into it. I see. Mama says he's very attached to it. <laughs> Probably never see the hog, either. Oh, yes, you will. Here, I'll read you the letter from Nellie. Uh, Dear Cousin Gracie, I will make this short, as we are very busy butchering all the hogs right now. That is all but Nellie and Francis. 
They're hogs? I thought your cousins were named Nellie and Francis. Well, Uncle John always gives his hogs the same names as his children. Well, isn't that confusing? Well, certainly not. Once you get to know them, you can tell them apart easily. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah, I'll read on. Uh, last night, Francis had 12 little ones with the cutest curly tails. Well, you see, now that couldn't be my cousin. <laughs> She's not married. <laughs> no comment. Read on. Uh, Mama told Papa to make some brine and get the pig's feet pickled. But Papa thought she said wine and got pickled first. <laughs> get to the part where they give us the heart. All right. Here it is. We are sending you Henry. Henry is the biggest boar in Jackson County. Boar? Yes. I, I called Meredith Wilson, who used to live on a farm, and he said a boar is a lady pig's husband. Oh, I see. <laughs> Henry is probably the father of those 12 little ones. Yes. 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 Well, what's that? Oh, yes. Henry should arrive there Thursday the latest. Thursday? Mm -hmm. That's today. I better go out and rent a freezing locker. Come in. Hello. Oh, hello, Meredith. Hi, Matt. Hey, Gracie, why did you phone and ask me all those questions about pigs? Oh, George and I are going to have one. Well, congratulations, George. <laughs> Our cousin is sending us one to eat. Oh, I see. Going to eat one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It'll, uh, it'll probably be a little short. Well, who cares if it's short as long as it's fat? <laughs> It's, uh, it's not a shoat, Meredith. We're getting a boar. Oh. Well, if I may offer a little advice, a boar is not as tender as a hog of the opposite, if you'll pardon the expression, sex. <laughs> when we had a boar, we always barbecued it. Say, that's an idea. We could have a big crowd over and barbecue Henry in the backyard. Oh, that sounds like a lot of fun. Uh, how do you barbecue a boar, Meredith? Well, uh, first you hit him over the head with a mallet. Then you scald him with boiling water and uh, put a metal rod through him and suspend him over a bed of hot coal. My. And then you put an apple in his mouth. Well, isn't, isn't that a little late to try making friends with him? <laughs> Don't bother explaining it, Meredith. Well, uh, by the way, Gracie, I'd be glad to make the barbecue sauce for you. Oh, thank you, Meredith. Where did you learn so much about cooking? Well, uh, my folks had one of those little combination gas stations and cafes. We lost money, though. How come? I never could figure why. I painted a huge sign which should have attracted customers. It said, uh, eat here and get gas. Meredith, <laughs> uh, business was bad because of that sign you painted. Yes, it should have been neon. <laughs> yeah, that's what I meant. People didn't know the place was open at night. Exactly. Yes. Tell your folks to put up a neon sign that says, Eat here and get gas all night. <laughs> you two should be in business together. <laughs> Goodbye, Meredith. Goodbye, all. See you at the barbecue. See you at the barbecue. <laughs> George, here comes my Texas friend, Mr. Judson. We'll invite him to our barbecue. Okay. Gee, to look at that cowboy, you'd, ne you'd never think he had $23 million. Come in. 
Howdy, little lady. Oh, hello, Mr. Judson. Howdy, little man. Hi. Well, I'm glad you dropped in, Mr. Judson. We're having a barbecue tonight, and you're invited. Well, I thank you kindly. I ain't been to a barbecue since I left Texas and come to the territory. <laughs> Did you have lots of barbecues down there? Yep, yep, just before I left. We had a fine one. Barbecued 5,000 pounds of pork. Goodness. How many pigs did you cook? Just one. <laughs> you trying to tell me that Texas pigs weigh 5,000 pounds? Only when they're the runt of the litter. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yes, yeah. I had one he-hog that was pretty good size. In fact, I had to keep him pinned up when the circus comes to town. Why? He, he kept flirting with the lady elephant. Oh. Oh. Uh, pardon me, boys. I'll see who's on the phone. Judson, you must be the richest guy in Texas. Oh, shucks, no. Down there, I'm what we call fixed, comfortable. Just begging along with my $24 million. Last time I saw it, it was $23 million. Yeah. Yeah, well, last week, my youngest boy was playing mumbler peg. The knife stuck into the ground a mite deeper than usual, and up come another darned oil well. <laughs> See, that's shame. <clears throat> Say, uh, when we have a barbecue in Texas, we celebrate high, wide, and handsome. Uh, do you mind if I bring my 45 along and do a little sociable shooting? No, not if you watch where you shoot. Oh, I'll just fire up in the air. I wouldn't waste a Texas bullet on you aliens. <laughs> okay, bring the gun. Yeah. Well, I'll be moseying along. George, that was Blanche Martinet. Oh, are you leaving, Mr. Jefferson? Yep, to get ready for your barbecue, little lady. Your husband says I can bring my old 45 along. Well, of course we want to meet you, wife. <laughs> oh, I like your sense of humor, ma'am. From the latest Crosby picture, Country Style, Meredith Wilson and his orchestra.
a list of the people to invite to our barbecue, and it comes to 47. 47? Mm-hmm. Hope we'll have enough pork to go around. Oh, I'm sure we will. After all, the letter says that Henry's the biggest boy in Jackson County. And I've only invited our closest friends. There'll be the, uh, the eight girls from the Beverly Hills Uplift Society and their nine husbands. And then there'll Wait be... <laughs> the eight girls have nine husbands? Well, no, not actually. You see, Blanche Morton's son is 21 now. And it would embarrass her to admit that she has a grown son. So she tells people she has two husbands. <laughs> That saves embarrassment. Yes, yeah. yes. And then there'll be Mr. Judson and his wife, and Dr. Miller and his wife, and Meredith Wilson and the woman he's engaged to. Meredith is engaged? Yes. Oh, he's such a gentleman. He was walking behind this perfectly strange woman, and suddenly she turned around. So? Their noses bumped, and he thinks he ought to marry her. <laughs> What a small. <laughs> and then I'm asking Bill Goodwin, of course, and that'll mean 15 more people. 15? Well, he'll bring the women he's engaged to. <laughs> oh, God, yes. Yeah. yeah, and then, uh, of course, I'm inviting Cary Grant. I don't think he'll show up. Why not? He's going to be on our radio program next week, and we can talk about it. Gracie, you upset Cary Grant. You always do something to him. You know what? What? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's my list. Now, you run next door and invite Dr. Miller and his wife, and I'll go buy the trimmings for the barbecue. Be sure to get some charcoal. What for? So we can have a charcoal barbecue. Oh. Well, all right. I'll get some charcoal for you, but the rest of us will eat pork. <laughs> I know you psychiatrists keep pretty busy, Dr. Miller, but Issy and I hope you'll take time off and bring your wife to our barbecue. Oh, I'd be delighted. May we bring the children? Sure. I didn't know you had children. Oh, yeah. Thomas, aged eight, and Linda, aged ten. They're at school now. Bet they're a cute pair of kids. Well, in the parlance of my profession, I'd describe them as possessing a normal adolescent behavioristic pattern combined with pronounced extroversion and complete immunity to parental stimuli. What does that mean in plain language? They're little stinkers. (laughs) You're joking. Unfortunately, I'm not. Did many children come to your door on Halloween and say, trick or treat? Yes. Mine were the ones who said, money or murder. With the car. <laughs> Which reminds me, Mr. Burns, does living next door to a psychiatrist worry you? No. Oh, why should it? Well, suppose one of my patients wandered into your house by mistake. You wouldn't know how to handle a person with peculiar mental ap- Forgive me, I forgot about your wife. <laughs> It's okay. Well, now I've got to run down to the depot and see if our pig has arrived from the farm. See you at the barbecue.
How do you do? I'm Henry. That's nice. I finally got here. So I see. Isn't anybody gonna kiss me? <laughs> kiss you? This is the right house, isn't it? Obviously. Come in and lie down on the couch. <laughs> Thank you. That's fine. Put your suitcase right down there. Uh -huh. Now, suppose you tell me your full name, who sent you, and why you're here. Well, my name is Henry Allen, and my folks sent me because I'm the biggest boy in Jackson County. Well, I'm sure we can straighten you out, Henry. They want me to stay with you and Cousin Gracie as long as you'll have me. Cousin Grace? Oh, you're looking for Mrs. Burns. Uh, yes, sir. We're from the same family. Stupid of me not to guess it. <laughs> you were a patient. Gracie lives next door. I, I don't think they're home right now, but you go on over and you make yourself comfortable. Oh, thank you. And, um, I'm sorry I'm not a patient. That's all right. I have a feeling you will be. <laughs> and so it happened that when George arrived home, he saw a strange man sitting in the living room. Hmm. Must be someone Gracie invited to the barbecue. Hello. Hey, Joe. Did I come to the right house? Yeah, this is it. Well, isn't anybody going to kiss me? <laughs> now, we're just having a barbecue. Uh, I brought you a big jar of watermelon lime preserves. Oh, you didn't have to do that. Oh, yes, I did. Mama made me. Well, where is it? I got hungry and ate it on the way. Thanks. I, I didn't intend to, see, but I dropped my suitcase and the jar broke and the preserves ran all over my clean socks. Then how did you eat it? It wasn't easy. <laughs> I, I, I still got some yarn stuck in my teeth. You, you ate your socks? Well, I didn't want to let the preserves go to waste. <laughs> Look, uh, I got to dig a barbecue pit in the backyard. Gracie will be home pretty soon. Oh, thank you. Gracie and her crazy friend. Hello. Hey, Joe. Are you Gracie? Yes. I'm your cousin Henry. Not little Henry Allen from back on the farm. Yeah. Isn't anybody gonna kiss me? <laughs> well, of course. Gee, I'm glad the other two turned me down. Well, I suppose you'll have to take it a crate out of the station. The pig? Yeah, but we we can talk about him later. Let me look at you. Little Henry Allen. Well, we haven't seen each other since we were in diapers. Yeah. You look different now. <laughs> well, I dress more conservatively. Yeah. <laughs> Gee, just think, the last time we were together, we were both two years old. Now I'm almost 30. Yeah, and I'm almost 18. 
I guess time drags here in the city. Everyone on the farm. Oh, fine. Grandpa said to thank you for sending him that money to buy glasses. Uh huh. Well, Grandpa needed glasses. A man his age shouldn't drink out of a bottle. <laughs> well, let's get down to the station and get that pig you brought. I didn't bring any pig. Because Nellie said that they were setting the biggest boar in Jackson County. That's me. Oh. Oh, Henry. Oh, this is terrible. We're planning a barbecue. Forty-seven people are going to drop over. Forty-seven? Yeah, make it forty-eight. When George hears about this, he'll drop over, too. <laughs> Meredith Wilson and his orchestra playing that song about ain't you? George is all unaware that the Henry he's been waiting to barbecue turned out to be Gracie's cousin. So he's in the backyard now, busily digging a barbecue pit. Hi, George. Oh, hello, Bill. What are you digging the hole for? Bill, into this hole, as you call it, is going the biggest boy you ever saw. Oh, George, don't do it. We love you. <laughs> Relax. That boar that's going in there is the kind that just eats, sleeps, and grunts. George, don't do it. We love you. <laughs> Look, comedian, the yeah. hole is not for me. Gracie's relatives are sending us a pig from the farm, and we're going to have a barbecue. You're invited along with your fiancés. Oh, all of them? Fifteen. I got to leave six at home? <laughs> now, do me a favor and ask Gracie if she's got everything ready for the barbecue. Oh, okay, George. And, oh, Bill. Have, uh, have you got a gun I can borrow? What for? To shoot the ball. George, don't do it. We, we love you. No, Bill. Everything is not ready for the barbecue. My relatives made a terrible mistake. Well, what, Gracie? Well, they sent my cousin Henry here instead of a pig. Hey, down. <laughs> Gee, Gracie, that's a mistake anybody could make. Oh, Bill, if George finds out, he'll throw a fit. 
Well, you just have to drive out to the country and get a pig. Well, there isn't time. Oh, dear, what the... Oh, I've got it. I'll build one. You, you'll uh, build a pig? I tell. Well, certainly. I'll go to the butcher shop. <laughs> and I'll get the parts and put them together. Oh, Gracie, how do you dope out these ideas? Well, with my brain, it's easy. Nobody's got a dopier brain than I have. Well. Well, Henry, here are all the parts the butcher sold me. Now, let's hurry up and build this pig before George comes in the house. What do we start with? Well, we better start with the feet. All right. I'll put the pig's feet right here on the floor. No, they don't look right. No, they don't. Would it help if we took them out of the jar? Yeah, might. Now, here are four hams for the leg. What comes next? The sides. Oh, oh, here they are. The butcher only had one side of pork, so I bought that and one side of mutton. (laughs) Won't that be noticeable? No, no. We'll tell George that this pig is pork on his father's side and mutton on his mother's side. (laughs) What an idea. And what comes next? The head. Oh, well, I couldn't get a head, so we'll take this cantaloupe and put a pair of glasses on it. Well, can't your husband tell a cantaloupe from a pig's head? Not if we use his glasses. <laughs> now, um, where will we put these sausages? Oh. oh, I know. We'll hang them on the head for curls. There. Cousin Gracie? I've called a lot of pigs, but nothing like this ever answered. <laughs> no, we're not finished yet. Now, let's see. We'll take the pork chops and put them here and hang the bacon from his ribs. And then we'll... Well, Gracie, I finished digging the barbecue. What is that? That's our pig. What happened to it? Oh, well, the poor thing was walking here from the station, and um, it tried to cross Hollywood Boulevard. (laughs) Holy smoke. Henry is the worst-looking mess I've ever seen. That's what everybody says about me. (laughs) You? Who are you? I'm Henry. But you can't be Henry. They said he was the biggest boar in Jackson County. You haven't known me very long. (laughs) Gracie, is he what they sent us from the farm? Yes, George. He's my cousin once removed. And I think it'll be soon you'll be twice removed. (laughs) You're not kidding. Henry. Yes, sir? Stick this apple in your mouth and follow me to the barbecue. (laughs) George, don't you dare! Gentlemen speaking, this is the United States Armed Forces Radio Service, the voice of information and education. Stay tuned for Escape Theater next on Theater of the Mind. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads. Idea City on the air and The Garden Show.